Okay, everybody, it's lovely to be here tonight. Um, it's about, I think, well, I'm in Sainfield six years, and I came here in my first year, so it's like six years uh, from I have been here. But it's really good to be with you uh, all tonight. I know most of you know know me um, and are from church, um, but it's good to see some faces that uh, I, I don't know. I know that you've been uh, looking at the parables um, on your your Saturday nights, and I think tonight is the last of those um, of the parable series. So we're going to come to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, my subject was chosen for me, uh, which uh, was helpful, um, and I was uh, asked to speak on the unmerciful servant, and we find uh, this parable in Matthew chapter number 18, and we're going to read from verse 21 uh, down to the end of the chapter. So let's read together, Matthew 18, and we'll commence reading at verse 21. Then came Peter to him, that's the Lord Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, he say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then the Lord after that he had called him said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgive thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was very wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. It's often said that the hardest two words for anybody to say is, I'm sorry. And we find that in our house. Uh, We have obviously two kids and it's really hard when they've done something wrong to get them to say, I'm sorry. But you know, closely following those are three more really difficult words. And those are, I forgive you. And I don't know what you feel about forgiveness. I don't know if you're a forgiving person. Um, it's easy to say, perhaps, both phrases, it's easy to say, I'm sorry. It's easy to say, I forgive you. But it's a different thing to mean those. I, I don't know if this is good advice, but somebody has said that sometimes the first step to forgiveness is realizing the other person is a complete idiot. 
I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's a good place to start. It's probably not. But, you know, forgiveness is an interesting thing. What is it? Well, the dictionary defines forgiveness as to stop blaming or being angry with someone for something that person has done or not punish them for something. Another dictionary defines it as to cease to feel resentment against an offender. I don't know if you have been wronged and that's really eaten away at you and there's somebody has done something to you and you just can't let go of it. Well, forgiveness is is to let go of it. Forgiveness is to say, I don't hold a grudge against you. I'm not going to hold resentment against you anymore. Forgiveness is the principle that Jesus taught here in Matthew chapter 18. In the verses that have just gone before this, uh, the verses we read, Jesus has just been talking about what we should do when we've been wronged by someone, particularly in the church. And then uh, one of his disciples, Peter, he comes along uh, and in verse uh, number 21, he basically asks Jesus this question. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Should I forgive them seven times? Now, as Peter done this, as Peter came along uh, and as he came to Jesus, he was being really spiritual here. You see, in that day, the rabbis who were the Jewish teachers of the day, they told people that when you're wronged, you should forgive someone three times. And so here comes Peter and he knew this. And Peter said, you know, Lord, if if someone wrongs me, wouldn't it be really good if I was to forgive them seven times? And Peter, I'm sure, expected Jesus to say, yes, Peter, that's a really good spirit that you have here. But Jesus says, no, no, Peter, I don't want you to forgive them seven times. I don't want you to forgive them eight times. But he actually says, I want you to forgive them 77 times. Maybe a strange number. How do you forgive somebody 77 times? But you know, what Jesus was getting up here is, is not a literal amount of times we're to forgive someone. But rather his point is that we are to be people of forgiveness. As Christians, we are to be people of forgiveness. We are to be those without limits or conditions to our forgiveness. We, as Christians, we are to be characterised by forgiveness. Why is that? Well, if you're taking some notes, I want you to write this little verse down. Because this is the centre of the whole principle. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 The Apostle Paul wrote these words, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In other words, what that verse is telling us is that when, even at times when we find it hard to forgive someone that's wronged us, we're to think of how Jesus has forgiven us. We're to think about the fact that, you know, we should be people of forgiveness because we've experienced forgiveness. We've experienced the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. And when he, as he has forgiven us, then we are to be those who forgive. So forgiveness is the principle that Jesus was teaching here in Matthew chapter 18. However, as the Lord often did, that's not where he left it. You see, he really wanted his disciples to understand this important subject. The Lord has sort of threw the principle out there, but he didn't stop there. Rather, he really wanted them to know what it meant to show forgiveness as those who had been forgiven. He wanted them to to not just sort of hear the theory of it and understand the truth of it, but he wanted them to know how this was worked out. So he tells them a story. So we have the principle that Jesus taught, and then in verses 23 down to 35, we have the parable that Jesus told. What's a parable? 
Well, I had a sneaky little look on your website, and I know Scott Woodburn done the first of these, and he explained what it was in a very good way. I'm just going to tell you very simply, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus often put a truth out there, and then he, he backed it up with a parable, and he told an earthly story to convey his heavenly meaning. So this is what we're going to look at tonight. So we're going to look at the parable Jesus told. Let's start, first of all, with the people in the story. This is a classic story. This is a very simple story that there's just four different people involved. In verse 23, we meet the first character in the story. We meet an honorable king. Verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. So we meet, first of all, this honourable king. We learn that he's a man of greatness. He's called a king. We don't know what he was king over, but he was a, a king of some kind of dominion. He was a man of greatness because he had servants. But you know, not only was he a man of greatness, but he was a man of generosity. He wasn't a tight king. He had lent one of his servants a substantial amount of money. We're told that, that he, he had lent or uh, laid out 10,000 talents. We're not told in what way this money or how he was generous. He either uh, let his servant keep taxes that were not yet collected. Sometimes the servants of a king would have went round the area and they would have collected taxes. And maybe they hadn't been cashed in yet and so he let his servant keep those. Or maybe he had actually lent his servant money out of his personal wealth. We're not told, well we're told here in biblical terms that that he lent him 10,000 talents. In today's money, different people have calculated this and they've come up with all different figures. So I just opted for no figure. And in today's money, literally it would have been millions. And the point here that Jesus makes in putting such a massive figure in this story is, the Lord wanted him to see that this figure was to represent an incalculable, unpayable sum. Not only was he a man of greatness and generosity, but he was a man of grace. Because the man to which he lent this, this money, he turns out that his servant couldn't pay. He, he lent this massive amount, and then when he went looking for it, his servant couldn't pay it. So what, is, what does the king do? Well, we're going to find it a little bit later, but simply he cancels the debt. So he's a man of greatness, he's a man of generosity, he's a man of grace. Who does this king represent? This king represents God. So we think of God, he's great over everything. He's over everything. He sits on his throne. He's generous in giving good gifts to his children. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above. Comes from the father of lights. Comes from God. He's great and he's generous. But you know, he's gracious. God is gracious. And the fact that we... As sinners, we owe an eternal debt to God, which we can never pay. Just like this innumerable figure. But here's the amazing thing. God doesn't hold that debt over us because he laid that debt on his son. Jesus paid our debt at the cross. So we meet, as the first person we meet in this story is an honorable king. And then in verse 24, we meet a hypocritical master. This is the second character. In verse 24, we don't know his name, but we're told, And when he, the king, had brought to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. We meet this next character. He's a hypocritical master. 
As the king goes down through his list of debtors, he lands on one of his servants. Yet this man, though racking up a debt, has not got the means to repay the king. As the king comes knocking, he panics and he says, you know, I haven't got, I haven't got the money in my bank. When confronted, the, kid, the, the servant seeks compassion. And this is the interesting thing because the, he begs the king. He begs the king not to take away his goods, not to be harsh on him. Uh, and the king granted him grace. And yet, as he seeks compassion, later on in the story he fails to show compassion. And we'll find out that he's a hypocrite. And you know, this character represents us. We are debtors to God. That's how we're born. We're born debtors to God. Uh, and though this man begged for a time and promised to pay all that he owed, in reality, he'd never be able to pay the debt that he owed to his king. That's the same as us. If God gave us all of eternity, we wouldn't have the time or the ability to pay the debt that we owe to God. Uh, you know, as we think about this, it's important as young people, we remember this as we're young in our faith. We have no right to know God. We are only saved by his grace. We cannot earn forgiveness. It's a gift that has come from God. So we have this honourable king and this hypocritical master. And then in verse 28, we have a humble servant. Verse 28, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. This is a servant who also served the king, but he was likely inferior to the first man. The first man was quite potentially his master. And this second servant was also a debtor. But while it was a significant debt that he owed, and it was a significant debt, it wasn't just a wee tiny debt, he did owe quite a significant debt, but it was minuscule in comparison to the first. But the, the, man, the first man forgot that. And so this humble servant, he then finds himself at the end of the first man's abrupt and abusive nature. Maybe he has worked with him before. And all of a sudden this man comes out and he comes at him and he grabs him by the throat and he maybe pushes him up against the wall. And you know, you can imagine this man was probably not only scared, I'd be scared at him a wits, but he was likely shocked and surprised. Where on earth did this come from? You know guys, there are times, maybe not right now, but there will be times, maybe you're going through this. There are times when we can be failed. Or hurt by those who should know better. Maybe parents, cousins, brothers, sisters, friends in school. Maybe somebody has failed you. Maybe somebody has wronged you. It's just come, come, come completely out of the blue. Maybe other Christians who you thought better of. I'm sure this, this servant thought better of the, his master. Maybe he was shocked that he had acted like this. Sometimes we'll be shocked. You know, people sometimes will let us down. Even Christians. It's important that we always remember that we're loved by God. And he knows when we are wrongly wrong. Just as this king, at the end, set the record straight. God always will keep his eye upon his children and will set right the wrongs. Sometimes it might not be right away. But God always sets right the wrongs. Then in verse 31, as we have in this to the people in the story of an honourable king and a hypocritical master and a humble servant, verse 31, then we have a horrified group. 
Verse 31, so when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Fellow servants, these are most likely the first man's colleagues or even the second man's colleagues. We don't really know. But they were those who done a very similar job, found themselves in a very similar position. And here's the thing, and I want you really to get this, guys, because I think this is a really important point. In verse 31, I want you to see what are they doing? They're watching his behavior. The hypocritical master is being watched. When they saw what was done, and ultimately they were shocked at this man's behavior. This wasn't being a good ambassador for the king. This guy was meant to be a servant of the king. Maybe word had spread that he had been pardoned of his debt. He was meant to have been a changed man. And there's a group was watching and they saw what he'd done. They were horrified. I don't know about you guys, but that was a great challenge for me. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, we're told that we, if we're Christians, we're ambassadors for Christ. We live every day as representatives of the King of Kings. And as such, you've got to always remember this. We are always being watched by the world. Your friends in school, people outside of this hall, they're watching us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, he says, We are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Paul knew that every move that he made was being watched. And you know, People constantly watch to see if we're behaving anything like our master. If our life is like the Lord. You see, we're meant to have been forgiven. We're meant to live, be living a transformed life. And so we always remember that we are being watched. Always remember your testimony. We have the people in the story. We have this honourable king. We have this hypocritical master. We have this humble servant. And we have this horrified group. So what about the plot of the story? What's the story all about? Well, let's go down through the plot. It's a simple plot that begins with great grace and yet ends in terrible tragedy. With this king, he examines his accounts, his accounts and he decides to call in his outstanding loans or his outstanding balance. And he sends for the servant who owed him a fortune. Upon realising that the man didn't have the means to settle his account, we read in verse number 25 that he calls for everything to be sold. He says, okay, you can't pay back what you owe to me, so here's what I want done. I want your wife to be sold. I want your kids to be sold. I want your house to be sold. I want your possessions to be sold. I want you to give up everything to pay your debt. This man was set to lose everything Until verse 26, where the servant falls before his master and he literally begs for mercy. He asks for time to pay off. He says, please don't let me lose my home. Please don't take my wife and family. I'm begging you, be merciful. Verse 27, what happened? What was the response? The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He loosed him and he forgave him the debt. Now this is incredible. He didn't say, He didn't reprimand him. He didn't set up a repayment plan. Rather, the king reacted with incredible incredible mercy. He loosed him from his arrest because he had arrested him. 
He forgave him the whole debt. He wrote it off. He didn't say, okay, pay me back when you can. He literally cancelled it. He said, I'm just going to forgive you of this debt. Forgave him the whole debt. He wrote it off. And here's the thing. In the end, the king gave him far more than what he had asked for. Now here's where the rubber hits the road. Having experienced such incredible mercy... You'd have thought the man would have been humble. He would have been transformed. And acted the same way to others. And yet watch what he does. Verse 28. He does the exact opposite. But the same servant. He went out. And he found one of his fellow servants. Which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him. And he took him by the throat saying. Pay me what thou owest. He literally done the exact opposite. To what the king had just done for him. Instead of being merciful. He was merciless. this, This interaction with the king. Was meant to have changed him and challenged him. But yet it done something different. It provoked in his mind. Oh here. I have people who owe me money. Brought to his mind those who had wronged him. One of his servants owed him a minuscule amount. In comparison to what he owed. Just 100 pence. What do we find in verse 30? He acted aggressively. Impatiently. And harshly. And instead of being compassionate, he acted like a complete hypocrite. And he put this man, even though this man came to him in the same way that he approached the king. And begged for mercy and wanted compassion. He ignored those cries and he just put him in jail. And he was absolutely merciless. What do we find? We find that he didn't practice the principle of being of forgiving as you have been forgiven. He didn't practice what Paul preached. He didn't practice what Jesus taught. You see, this merciless hypocrite also forgot his testimony. Word soon spread about his wickedness to his fellow colleagues. They were understandably horrified at his hypocrisy. They reported this man to the king. The king then dealt severely with this man. Here the tables are turned and if you look at verse 32, the the king confronted him. Then his lord after that he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant I forgive thee all that debt because thou desired me. He confronted him and then in verse 33 he challenged him. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I put in thee he challenged him with the way he had been treated and then in verse 34 he chastened him and his lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. He was confronted he was challenged he was chastened. What was the reason? He was chastened not for his death. That had been forgiven but about his double standards. You know, guys, as Christians, even outside the subject of forgiveness, God will never punish us again for our sin. Our sin has been dealt with at the cross. We've been forgiven. But when we disobey God's word, he does chasten us. Like as a father, he chastens us. He disciplines us. And that's part of how we grow. And and it's really important that we understand that because sometimes in our lives when chastening comes, we can wonder, does God love us? That's how we know we're a Christian. You see, in this story, this man took his own forgiveness for granted. 
His forgiveness didn't change his behaviour. You see, when we become a Christian, it's to change how we live. This man was selfish, bullish and brutish. And he came to a sad end. Let's wrap this up. We've got the people in the story. We've got the plot of the story. What's the points from the story? Verse 35, Jesus sums it up. He says, so likewise shall my heavenly father also do unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So Jesus brings us back now and he brings us to the whole point of the parable. Three points and I'm done. You can write these down. What's the first point from this story? First of all, God detests the habit of of hypocrisy. God detests the habit of hypocrisy. In the end, the first servant was severely punished, mercy was removed and justice was dealt. What was the reason for that? Well, having experienced mercy, he didn't express mercy, making him an incredible hypocrite. We don't have time to look at it tonight, but if you were to go to Matthew 23, you would see how much God hates hypocrisy. The Lord Jesus, in those verses, pronounces woes to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who said one thing and done another. And, and there's a repeated phrase, and he says, Woe unto you, hypocrites. You see, the Pharisees were religiously outward, but they were rotten inwardly. And you know, guys, here's the point for us tonight. When we feel to be forgiving, we are actually being hypocrites. Now that's that's strong. That's a challenge. When we feel to be forgiving, we are actually being hypocrites. It's saying I am willing to be forgiven. I'm willing to take God's forgiveness. I am willing to be forgiving, but yet I am not willing to forgive. I am happy to be pardoned by God, but I don't want to pardon like God. Just like the two men in the story, nobody will wrong us greater than we wronged God. When we think of it like that, what a challenge it is. How can I not be forgiven? How can I be a hypocrite when I owed a debt that I could never pay and yet God forgave me that through his son, Jesus Christ? That's the negative. First point of the story, God detests the habit of hypocrisy. Secondly, God desires for the forgiven to be forgiving. God desires for the forgiven to be forgiving. Forgiveness is to mark our character as Christians. Peter tried to impress the Lord by suggesting forgiving someone seven times. Jesus said there shouldn't actually be a limit to our forgiveness. In Luke 17 verses 3 and 4, listen to these verses. Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. There's to be no limits to our forgiveness. Now here's the thing. Maybe you're too young, but you'll soon figure this out. Maybe you do know this already. Anyone who has been wrong knows it's not an easy thing to do to forgive. 
really tough. And the older you get and the harder the hurt, it's really hard to be forgiving. But that's what God asks me to do. That's what God expects us to do, even though the other person is wrong. I was wrong in God's eyes, but he forgave me. It's what God expects us to do. It's what God desires us to do. We're to forgive as we have been forgiven. The point in this story, God detests the habit of hypocrisy. God desires for the forgiven to be forgiving. Finally, God delights in the granting of grace. God delights in the granting of grace. Though God detests an unforgiving spirit, he delights in a forgiving one. That's really clear from this passage. Let me define a little bit more what forgiveness is and isn't. We've sort of thought about what it is. It's to say I'm not holding resentment against you. Let me tell you what it's not. And I think this is really important we understand this. Forgiveness is not saying the wrong that's happened was okay. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not you, you coming to a place where you say, do you see what happened to me? That's actually okay. That's not, that, that's not what it means to be forgiving. It's not saying it didn't affect us. To be forgiving, you know, we shouldn't feel the effects of what happened to us. That's not it either. It's not saying it doesn't matter anymore. It's not even saying a relationship can be repaired because maybe it can't. But forgiveness is saying, I am not holding you under judgment anymore. It's saying I am not holding resentment against you. It's saying I'm not going to hold a grudge any longer. What you've done to me hurt me. What you've done to me was wrong. What you've done to me affected me. I can't just wipe that away. But I'm not going to judge you for it. And I'm not going to hold resentment against you. I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. Because Why? Because that's what Jesus done for me. You see, on the cross was a clear declaration that God said, your sin, it's not okay. On the cross, the cross is a fact where God said, your sin has an effect. It's going to take a life of my son. On the cross, God displayed that I can't just brush our sin away. It needs to be dealt with. But through Jesus Christ dying for us, he said, I'm removing judgment from over your head. Being forgiving means looking at the wrong in the eyes of God in the gospel. Psalm 130 verse 3. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? If the Lord was to mark our iniquities, none of us could stand before him. But there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Delights God when we replace the grudge with grace. And we choose forgiveness over resentment. In this story, we have an honourable king. We have a hypocritical master. We have a humble servant 
with this horrified group. And throughout this plot, we're brought to the place where we learn the principle of forgiveness. That God detests the habit of hypocrisy. That he desires for the forgiven to be forgiving. And he delights when we grant the same grace that he has shown to us.